You are listening to The Coach's Corner with your host, Alex Ramirez, on the Pro 10 Radio Network, a production of Pro 10 Global Sports. Enjoy the show. Good morning, good morning. Hello and welcome to the Coach's Corner presented by Pro 10 Global Sports and Pro 10 International. Today is Friday, May 23rd. I am your host, Alex Ramirez. We want to remind everybody that you can call on the show at 347-637-1197. Also, you can check us out on Twitter at Pro 10 Radio. You can also check the Pro10Radio.com website for all the podcasts and future show information. We also want to let you know of a campaign that we are supporting uh, support the orphans at the Alora Academy in Africa that serve the less fortunate children across the slums in Kisumu City and Western Kenya. Please check the ProTenRadio.com front page and click on the Donate button. We have a great guest for you today. Uh, my guest today sees the game like no other and is one of the most sought-after clinicians and motivational speakers in the country. He is featured pro on the award-winning instructional tennis videos that frequently air on the Tennis Channel. He is recognized in the tennis profession as the premier teacher for correcting technical flaws and building weapons. He is a seven-time USPTA Coach of the Year and has worked with some of the best players in the world, including Andy Roddick, Mary Pierce, Sharuni Williams, Venus Williams, Jennifer Capriati, and Maria Sharapova. Uh, Rick Macy, thanks for being with us this morning. How are you? Good. I'm great. Glad to be with you. Yes, I know you've got a, a super busy day. We definitely thank you for the time to, uh, to be with us. And, Rick, we're going to get started. We're going to learn a little bit more about Rick. Before he was Rick Macy, the famous tennis coach, how, how did you get started in tennis? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I actually, I actually have a book out. It's called uh, Macy Magic, Extracting Greatness from Yourself and Others. And I actually describe in the book, you know, I grew up in a small town in Greenville, Ohio, in southwestern Ohio. And I played every sport, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, uh, you name it. And we lived in a park. And uh, there was tennis courts about, uh, you know, a half mile away. And one day, believe it or not, at around 12 or 13 years old, I just went down there with a racket and I started hitting balls against the backboard. And I just fell in love with it. I'd be out there just hitting balls morning, noon, and night. And... Um, it was a game changer. And so what happened is from that, um, you know, I'd play with a lot of people in town and I just wanted to be the best I could be. And I was pretty much self-taught and ended up getting really good, really fast. And, you know, like most people, you play number one in your high school and I became one of the better players in Ohio and the Ohio Valley. And then I dabbled a little bit uh, on like the futures type level playing. But at the end of the day, uh, because I was self-taught, even though I was, you know, very athletic and uh, had some good competitive skill, skills and some uh, good feet, um, I always liked helping others. You know, I was always the organizer. I was always together. I just rather help others and give to others and love to make a difference. And when I started, like, 
teaching, even though I didn't know what I was doing back when I first started that much. Um, right. I just got hooked on it, and uh, you know, one thing led to another, and uh, it's been uh, a great ride. And what I really like is I, I've been consistent ever since I've done this, and I still have as much passion and energy today. And I teach 60 hours a week of privates, and uh, um, I have as much energy and passion today as I did when I first started. That is that is so great to hear uh, that, that 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 grew inside of you to coach. So staying with the coaching side of it, um, when did you start coaching? Like, what year did you start coaching? Was it after the futures, obviously? And did you start coaching mostly groups and privates? And then along the way, you developed your coaching philosophy. I'm going to assume. Yeah, well, what happened was, uh, you know, it started in Troy, Ohio, which is about 30 miles, 20 miles from Greenville. I got a job at an indoor tennis club, and the director there, um, he's no longer with us. He was very good friends with Don Budge, Bill Tilden, Ellsworth Fine, Jack Kramer. And uh, I got a job there, and um, after about a month, you know, and I put this in the book, he said that, you know, he thought I had a gift, and I'm going to learn the knowledge as I go on, but, you know, I'm going to be, you know, special someday if I stick with this uh, teaching. And maybe just the way I communicated with people, the way I could analyze things, uh, the energy and the passion that I brought to try to give that to the students. And I taught anybody, anytime, whether it be, you know, ladies' leagues or men's leagues or little kids or – it didn't really matter – you know, I, I would I put that in the book too. I like thinking you're a teacher. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. I like helping others and you know, as I said, you know, I could I think I could coach in the NBA or NFL. Um, it just depends. Who's ever on the other side of the net, whether it's the the best ten year old in the country or an eighty five year old guy, um, it, it, it you just like helping them and finding a way. So I started out like everybody else, you know, you just kinda learn and um you know, when you have that feeling and your students can feel it, that's when you can extract more out of them because uh, it takes two to right. tango and everybody everybody needs or a mentor. And uh, I think that's always been, you know, the X factor of, you know, or the staple of uh, how I teach. That is great. And on the website I was reading about uh, your coaching philosophy, it really stands out from, other places that I've been to and academies and stuff where they just basically run through the motions. But you have a very specific thing that you guys do. Can you tell the listeners about the philosophy and what you guys do that's different from anywhere else? Yeah, well, it's totally different. I think, number one, you know, the one thing that's different about, you know, the Rick Macy Academy is, you know, I'm in the trenches. You know, I, I my name's on the door, but I'm available to teach privates to anybody. And like I said, you know, I still teach 60 hours a week, and um, that's a unique situation because a lot of times that's not the case. Uh, besides the other, you know, 10, 12 guys that teach in the academy, you know, I'm available to anybody. So I think that, from a service point of view, is uh, is huge. But from a biomechanical point of view, you know, I have a relationship with one of my best friends ever, Dr. Brian Gordon, who's a sports science uh, guru done so much research and has all this cutting-edge stuff on stroke mechanics, the guy is literally a wizard. And through his research and, you know, the way I analyze things about, I don't know, five years ago, we teamed up and he came here 
and we use 3D analysis. He has about you know $500,000 of the cameras that we run all this through a computer, so we can get exact measurements of how to do things and what's going wrong. Because a lot of times you and I can't see it. Now, even though someone like right. myself who's been in the trenches for so long, you can see a lot. Um, the facts don't lie, and everything we do from a stroke mechanics point of view is backed up by science. And what's interesting is it's really the optimal way to do it, and players in the world, especially on the men's tour, that's exactly what they do. So we're not telling you to do this because Better does it or Rafa, but you know what? They all have common threads, and they do this. And this is the methodology of how we teach you know, the two big ticket items, the forehand and backhand. And if someone can't do it or they don't want to change, I mean, we don't force it, but there is a better way to make the racket go faster and make it shorter. And if I'm playing the game of tennis, the one thing we all know that's changed, it's quicker, it's faster, the balls have more strength, there's better athletes. Unless they slow the game down, that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to be taught a stroke that's much shorter, but you can make the racket head go faster. And that's the name of the game, and that's what you see on the men's tour, and that's what we teach. And there's a whole methodology Brian and I put together and some research and the way that I can explain this. Um, it's a one-two punch that we're just really making cutting-edge different pretty much around the world. That's awesome. As far as teaching goes, <clears throat> um, I've heard uh, different coaches talk about teaching the way the student learns. Is that something that you uh, employ in, into the way you, you coach? The teaching the way the student learns? As far as if they're more uh, auditory learners or uh, visual learners? Well, you know, I think, it, I think it's good to have your pulse, pulse on that. But at the end of the day, I think it's a coach's job to find a way. You know, winner finds right. a way, and they got to push the button. They got to dig deep. They got to they got to do whatever they got to do uh, to find a way to get the job done. So, you know, whether it's more of this or more of that or more of this or more of that, um, it's not one size fits all. And that's what the beauty of coaching is. Right. The beauty of coaching is, um, you know, you got to treat everybody. You got to treat everybody. You got to treat everybody different. Um, but there are some common threads that you want to have uh, to everybody. So to answer your question, sure, you might have to demonstrate more with this one. You might have to talk less with this one. And that's the art of the deal. That's what separates yes. a good coach from a great coach because a great coach is going to be able to find a way best and he's going to be very, very persistent. Yes. Um, sticking with that, um, talk about technique. Uh, we get a lot of players at our academy that, that come in from they've taken lessons from a dozen different coaches that come in with different strokes, um, but sometimes those strokes are working for them. At what point do you look at a player that has a different stroke, maybe not technically sound, but they're very effective with it, and decide the time the change needs to happen to get to that next level? And how do you approach that? Well, you know, that's a great question because you know. Um, the USGA player development is a couple miles away, and when I go over there, there's obviously the best kids in the country, and a lot of those already have their strokes dialed in, and they might not want to change or tweak, and it's unfortunate, 
not just with that level, but any level. Some kids don't want to change um, because it works, and they want the W this weekend, and they want to keep winning tournaments. They don't want to mess up. So on and on and on and on. So this is kind of the dilemma. Um, you might have to take a few steps back because if you got a funky grip or a crazy backswing or something's not optimal, you know, if you're in the neighborhood, that's okay. But if you're, you're especially and you see this a lot in the 12s and 14s, you can get away with all this stuff because the speed of the game is slower. I mean, you don't even have to have right. that good of footwork, you know, because the balls are high and it's slow. So if you kind of get a curveball and the parents kind of fall in love that, you know, the kid's winning and all this stuff, and this is all about the future. You know, the last time I checked, it's called junior development. It's not junior final destination. And everybody loses sight of that. And unfortunately, they train the kids not to lose. Uh, they don't. There's not technical adjustments. And it's unfortunate. And it's a real problem, I think, in this country because the teaching is so fragmented. A lot of people taught, teach the way they were taught or they pick up snippets here and there. And, you know, I think to do the correct service to the customer, everybody needs to continue their education, you know, through the USPTA and to learn as much as you can because the game's always evolving and it's always changing. But, yeah, I, I just tell them, I say, listen, this is limited. I'm saying to them, I've just almost never been wrong on this one. You know, I see a hole in someone's game at 12, and then under 22, I see the same hole. It's just a little smaller because they're bigger, stronger, faster, smarter. But the hole is there. And at the end of the day, if there's a mechanical flaw, you can mask it when you're playing well and the sun is shining and everything's great. But when there's pressure, it always breaks down. Whether it goes short it's or it makes errors or whatever, it will always break down. So, But then it comes to the question, what is great technique? You know, that's in the eye of the holder. And that's right. why the stuff that Brian and I have put together is so cutting edge and it's really the way the ground strokes should be taught. The problem is you can hit them with big backswings and still pull it off, but when the balls come faster and quicker with a lot more spin, then things get a little slipperier when you get older. And it's like that in any sport. You know, the speed of the game changes as you get older. Tennis, it does, and it affects the strokes. But football, baseball, everybody tells you, every athlete, what's different? The speed of the game. So it takes a while for the mind to adjust. If you got crazy grips and backswings on this until you get older. Right, right. And it is, you're right. It's all about uh, nobody's going to care what you were ranked when you were 12. By the time you get to 18, the college coach is not going to say, well, you were number one in the 12s. What happens, right? Um, Absolutely. It, someone was asking me this yesterday. Yeah, someone was asking me this yesterday, and I just said, listen, <laughs> I know this is bizarre, but Venus never played a tournament for three and a half years, and Serena didn't for five and a half. They didn't even play juniors. So if you want to frame it up, is that right or wrong? Well, it worked for them because they're probably the only ones that ever done it. So they don't say right. Serena won her 16th Grand Slam and she has no gold balls in the juniors. You know, people right. don't say that. <laughs> but we're so caught up in the results and ranking, and I understand that and there's a place for it. But at the end of the day, it's about development. It's about, yes. you know, building a pro game. And like we talked about before we went on air, you know, when you see this 10-year-old Gabriella Price, uh, who I've worked with since she's four, she plays a pro game, and she's 10 years old. And she's already had success. She's like one or two in the nation in the 12s, and she's like a little little pipsqueak. And when people, 
she does everything as advanced as people top ten in the world on the pro tour. Now, she can't do it because of the physicality part and the, the height and the reach, but she does everything correctly because the parents bought in, she bought in, she's fearless, and she's building a pro game. And that's what we need to do as coaches, but it's a tough sell to the parent because the kid rather hit off the back foot and not change, or the coach wants to have the kid keep winning so more students come to him. And I've never been like that. I've always looked to the future and to build something. Absolutely. Uh, coach, can you talk a little bit about, before I go on break here, uh, how much parent educating you do along with working with the students? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't sit down and have seminars with the parents because that would take too long, but... Uh, when right. I do give a speech, you know, all the parents' video put on their iPhone or whatever, and there's always some messages. There's always some messages in in there. Um, and here's what's tough. They'll agree, and they'll listen, and they say you're 100% right, And but you know what? The parent's not going to change. They, they're going to be involved, especially with the girls, because it's always daddy, little girl. You know, parents today, unfortunately, in our society, they're – what I call Velcro parents. I mean, they're just stuck right with the kids. You know, when we grew up, it was probably a little different. And, you know, that's that's not the healthiest. I think they're there to support, figure it out on their, their own, and that gets mental strength and responsibility, and you get ownership. So, you know, I have a little bit more leverage or credibility because, you know, of what I've done and who I've taught, but I don't want any of the coaches out there to feel bad because, they don't listen to me either, so it's okay. Right. You know, it's not a, it's not. You just listen. You do, you do the best you can, you know. And they don't listen to me, and they're not going to listen to many people. And the parents are going to be involved. And here's the crazy thing: yeah. they're so involved. Tennis is a hard sport to coach for greatness, but just to coach it, aim higher, hit lower, more top spin, toss higher. That's parents can coach it, and the parents not only want they want to be. Deep down inside, they went to credit, too. And, you know, no one's probably experienced that <laughs> more than myself with some of the people that I've taught. You know, and so I'm out there educating the parent, but I'm also teaching them the game of, of tennis to the point where, you know, they feel they can sometimes do it all. But, day I've seen many, many situations blow up where the kid loses the passion, he loses the desire. You know, they get 16, they get a boyfriend, girlfriend, driver's license, and, you know, Instead of booking tickets at Wimbledon, they're going to be going to college, and that's what should be the plan all along. The plan should be simple. Be the best you can be. Let's see where this ends up. Because, you know, everybody dives in the deep end, thinks you're going to be number one in the world, and that ain't going to happen. Right. That is great insight, Coach. Uh, we're going to be right back with Coach Rick Macy in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? And what about this? Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. What is this bill for $562? Let me call these people. 
Thanks for calling Big Tobacco. How can I be of assistance? Hi, I was going through my mail and saw this bill saying I owe $562 for smoking-related expenses. That's correct, ma'am. Yeah, what's the deal with this bill? You see, smokers miss more work and retire earlier, which costs Nevadans $903 million in lost productivity per year. Also, smokers get sick with diseases like lung cancer and emphysema, costing another $565 million in medical expenses. So, when you add it up and divide by a total number of Nevadans, it comes out to $562 per Nevada household. Okay, but I don't smoke. Oh, whether you smoke or not, every Nevadan pays the bill. You know what? I'm not paying this bill. Actually, you already did. And you'll be making the same payment again next year. Well, thank you for your call. Hello? Is smoking worth it? Learn more at SmokeFreeVegas.com. That's SmokeFreeVegas.com. Or for free help quitting smoking, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Made possible by funding from the Department of Health and Human Services. Little Caesars, home of the $5 hot and ready pepperoni pizza, now has a deep, deep dish pizza with eight crispy caramelized corner slices and even more cheese and pepperoni. So head on down and grab a large for just eight bucks and tell them Alan Varner sent you. They won't know who that is, but as a voice actor, I'm always trying to get my name out there. Check me out at alandoesvoices.com. That's A-L-A-N doesvoices.com. But first, get the new deep, deep dish pizza. It's hot and ready every day from 4 to 8 p.m. for just 8 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. To celebrate the not normal Mini Cooper, we hired an expert to tell you about Mini telepathically. Greetings. Relax and listen to my mind. The Mini Cooper hardtop comes with 37 MPG and co-cart handling. Wait, that's not telepathy. Listen again. The bigger four-door Mini Countryman has seating for five. Okay, you're just whispering. You're still paying me for this. Come see the 37 MPG Mini Cooper hardtop and the bigger Mini Countryman today. Visit MiniUSA.com slash info for MPG details. Hi, this is Jeff Saldenstein. Hi, this is Ken DeHart. Hi, this is Dick Gould. Hi, this is John Embry, and you're listening to The Coach's Corner on Pro 10 Radio Network. Catch me live on Wednesday, May 28th at 1 o'clock Pacific. We are back with Coach Rick Macy. Uh, Coach, thank you for being with us this morning. And we were talking about coaching juniors. Now, you've worked with a lot with the best in the game. Can you share some of the challenges that comes with coaching at that level? Well, you know, a lot of kids that, that I've had, I had them when they're, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Um, and like I said, it's all about the future, but because there might be a little bit more athletic ability or there might be a little bit more height or there might be a little bit more potential, uh, not just from the media per se, you know, so the expectations are going to be greater just because it's just uh, they've already got some publicity or it might be, you know, one of the better kids in the country. But at the right. end of the day, that's what it's all about. You know, you want to be the best you can be. And um, I look at everything as a challenge. It doesn't really matter what the level is. So there's no, like, extra pressure or anything anything like that. It's just that because they have this gift, maybe you can mold a pro game and teach them more high-level stuff um, and do adult-like things even though uh, they're a kid. But the tough part is more the parents because, you know, they're already seeing pro tennis. And like I said, they're probably booking tickets for Wimbledon and the kids are only 10 years old. So um, exactly, there's an art to this. You know, you've got to be able to communicate. And dealing with the parents is a, is a major league uh, effort because no one has a lot of patience and they want things to happen quickly. But like I said, this is, uh, you know, junior development. It's not junior final destination. So it's a long-term process. And, I try to echo that philosophy 
of building a game and making pro moves. And uh, when you have someone really, really talented, obviously it might be a little easier for them to do it a little sooner. Absolutely. You know, I, I work a lot with, with Todd Ellenbecker and take on players that come in to train. And uh, uh, how much do you focus on injury prevention in your development, making sure they have the right proper technique so they don't get injured when they're hitting the ball so hard? Um, you know, the, I kind of, we have a whole fitness uh, program here with uh, a company called ESP, and they handle all that. And uh, But a lot of kids also have their own trainer, depending on the level of the kid. So, yeah, no, right. that's that's important. Uh, there's no doubt about it, just because the game's more violent and uh, you're moving quicker and faster and there's a lot more racket speed and a lot more cuz. Not so much where you could get hurt now. What I see is these things don't come back to bite you until you're older. You know, if you're making wrong moves or whatever or you're overdeveloping one side of the body. So I think it's critical to balance yourself. Just like in the game of life, you need to, you need to balance. But a lot of players who are right-handed, they should be doing a lot more stuff, you know, with the left side of their body and vice versa. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, we do a lot, but I kind of let the fitness people uh, handle that. But when I see certain things, I definitely will chime in and, you know, kind of get that on track. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, back to more of the coaching aspect. Is there a point in a player's development that uh, you try and let them figure out what they're doing on their own? Because they've learned it so many times. You can only tell them so many times, you know, do a certain thing, follow through. Do you let them figure it out? I see a lot of coaches trying to hold the player's hand for a long, long, long time. Then when they get to a match or a tournament or a situation, they can't figure it out on their own. Uh, at what point do you do you introduce that and say, you got to just start figuring these things out? <laughs> uh, the sooner the better because tennis is a, is a different game. You know, it's a different animal. You're out there by yourself. People don't understand. And like I said about the Velcro parent who's right there, you can't be the Velcro coach either. You can't, you can't overcook it extra crispy. You want the kids to take ownership. You want them to have strength. You want to, listen, I know when they're younger, you've got you to gotta guide them, lead them, explain it. Um, but you don't want to create a robot or you don't want to create someone who can't think on their own. And, but, you know, I have a way always, now that you, you've asked it, where I can always make it or sound like it's their decision anyway. And I think that's the art of the art of coaching. You know, when they do something off the top, over the chart, you know, you want to make a big deal about it, you know, so they learn quicker and they like that. Or right. if they do something wrong, you know, you want to make a big deal about that. So I think it's all how you tee it up as a coach, how you lay it out, how you present it. Um, but, no, they they got to figure it out. Mom can't help her dad, you know, these parents barking through the fence. It's silly. Um, and stronger mentally when you got to do it on your own. And I just, but people want to help, people care and all that. I get all that. But you don't want to create a marshmallow either. You need a, at the end of the day, I think the greatest gift a coach can do, forget the, the biomechanics or the strategy. If you can make someone the best competitor they can be, you've done your job. I mean, I, if you can do that, because if you are the best competitor you can be, you're going to handle pressure. I don't care how you hit the ball. Sure, there's probably a better way, and you might have to have better strategy too, but let's just talk. That should be the job, main job of the coach, to make them the best competitor they can be, because when you're that competitive, 
you handle pressure better. And not, no one was a better example than Andy Roddy. Even at a young age, the guy was just a feisty little mosquito that even if he got mad, he got more determined. And just so much respect for, for Andy as a role model, as a competitor. And that came loud and clear on the pro tour. You know, maybe he didn't have the talent of a Sampras or an Agassi, but he did the best he could. Very few bad losses. Always showed up. Just an amazing competitor. And I just feel he never got enough credit because, let's face it, great serve, good forehand, and the rest, he was just one of the guys. And he had an amazing career where some people might think, hey, he didn't do that well. I think he did awesome. But he's a perfect example. He was always about the competition. He had a thirst for competition. Even his brother John was that way, way off the charts. And that's what I loved about him. And to me, that's the X factor that a coach can give any player is to get him to compete better. And whatever cards they've been dealt, you've got to deal with those. Yes. <clears throat> very good, very good. We have a question here that came through on Twitter from Ryan Tennis TX. I'm going to guess he's from Texas. And he asks, uh, the one-handed versus the two-handed backhand, if a player is in limbo, how do you help him make that decision? Um, well, you know, obviously I'd have to see it. What I do is I, I like to see what they do natural. Because some people swing the racket maybe more natural one hand or some swing the racket more natural two hands. So I would use that as a starting point. You know, I would just kind of look at it, what feels more natural, so I kind of know where I'm going to, you know, start this whole process from. And then I would just, you know, feed them some balls and just kind of, you know, figure it out. Uh, the thing about the one-hander, and, you know, obviously – you're going to end up chipping better, and you might get more feel on your backhand volley. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, a two-handed backhand, you know, there's more benefits on the return. There's more benefits on the short ball, high to, from Nadal to Djokovic. He has a little different response than Federer. So, you know, that's why Federer is a tough matchup for Nadal. He keeps pumping that lefty forehand up there, you know, on the third floor, eight times in a row, the one hand of backhand after time, it, it right. gets tough. So would I teach someone one hand? Absolutely. But it depends on how natural it looked and then how natural the two-hander looked. Um, but there are more benefits, especially in today's game, in my opinion, of a two-handed backhand. Very good. There you go, Ryan. Uh, thanks for that question. Um, I read on your website you have uh, macisms. Is that how you say it? Macisms? Uh, can you share yeah, with us some uh, of your Macy, favorite Macy, macisms? Macyism. Yeah, macisms. Macyisms. Yeah. Can you share with us some of your favorite ones? <laughs> well, I, they're always evolving in my head. You know, this is just, uh, right. it's in the book. It's in the book that, that I wrote, and uh, it's on the website, and the kids print them out, and, you know, they're just, motivational pops or they're just things that I kind of say all the time on the court or just kind of a right. staple of how I teach and what I believe. And, you know, the kids, you know, you say things and as time goes on, you know, this stuff sticks with people, especially if there's a catch to it or a rhyme. And I know the impact that it's had on a lot of people who have won a lot of grand slams, even though they might not say how this influenced them. I've had many people, you know, doctor, lawyers, whatever, how it really made them work harder or it changed the way they look at things and 
how they key it up in their mind psychologically. And so when the kids read these signs, uh, and I made a difference uh, with someone's life. And uh, my favorite one or whatever, I, <laughs> I really don't have a favorite one. My favorite one will probably be whatever comes in my head tomorrow. But, you know, <laughs> I like to tell people, you know, if you, if you make excuses, you're getting better at making excuses. And that's right. if you're if you're lazy, you're, you're getting better at being lazy. So you're training yourself that way. And, you know, but I have thousands of these, and I just try to communicate it with the student or the parent, tee it up in a way where it's crystal clear, very common sense. Um, you know, if you get mad, you get better at being mad. And some people are good at that. And you got to flip these things in your mind. There's a chapter actually in the book called Flip It. Um, you know, people say, how can I go out there and teach 10 hours a day in the 95-degree sun? And the first thing you got to do is flip it in your mind and make the sun your best friend. And you like it when it's hot because if you think it's hot, trust me, it got a lot hotter. Right. <laughs> the, the mind stuff. But the attitude controls everything. And, you know, let's that's, face that's it. Everybody likes Friday better than Monday. I don't know where that started from, but if you ask people, I'm sure it is. And I'd rather have them look at it the other way. And it's all how you look at certain things and how you how you um, digest it. But it's all about the attitude. And if I can get the attitude, because let's face it, in life and in sports, people that are the most successful are the most positive. And that never has changed, and it never will change. Because absolutely, um, and then when you play the game of tennis, there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of issues, you deal with a lot, and you know if you can flip the negative the double fall, the mistake, whatever it is, and turn it into a positive and stay in the moment, then you're going to be mentally strong. So uh, what I try to do in the code of this is, you know, a lot of parents said, you know, hey, you helped my kid do better in school, or he came off medication, whatever that is, or, or he now cleans his bedroom. It has nothing to do with tennis. And that kind of makes me feel better than someone who wins a national title or people that have went on to win grand slams because – you know, a good coach um, improves your tennis game, but a great coach improves your life. That is, that is, that's the, that's going to be my favorite one right there. I'm going to use that today. <laughs> that is a great one, Rick. <laughs> I would say, I would say, I would say that came into my head, but I've used that one for a long time, and and that's, you know, they're all they're all up there. But it, you know what? It depends who is on the other side of the net. Um, and that's one of the things that people say. It's just the way explained, and and that's what teaching and coaching is: extracting greatness out of the other person. And uh, hopefully, that's been the staple of what I've tried to do. That is that is great. Uh, talking about the, the little girl, you Gabriella, you said, um, and just going back to you, you got to see Venus and Serena at a very young age. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw? And did you know immediately these girls had something very special in them? Um, yeah, well, you know, the Williams story, obviously, it's well documented. Um, I think people in tennis know kind of what I did and how I kind of bankrolled that whole situation. Um, but, yeah, you know, Richard wanted to meet me. Uh, I went out to California, never done that one before, especially to Compton. And uh, this is when Venus was 10, Serena was 9 and met with Richard and, um, you know, met with Orsine and the girls. And at the same time, you know, I was coaching, 
you know, Capriotti, who was one of the juniors, obviously, in the world, and Tommy Ho, who was one of the best. So, and a lot of kids went in nationals just like, you know, every other day. So I had a good base or I had a good reference point of what good was or great was and what great mechanics were. Because if you remember Jennifer, I mean, she had balance like no other and had, you know, very good strokes at uh, Jimmy Everett, the great Jimmy Everett, and her dad, Stefano, helped lock in. So I got to Compton, and that day, the first day that, uh, you know, we go practice, Richard picks me up in a, a beat-up Volkswagen Beetle, and I get in the car, and there's like three months' worth of McDonald's wrappers and Burger King and old balls and clothes, and it was the funniest thing ever, and there was a, a, a spring sticking out of the passenger side that I almost got harpooned, and it was, I'm going, wow, this is this is a little different than Greenleaf Resort, where I was the director back at that time. Right. Uh, in the late 80s, you know, because it was like one of the top 25 resorts in the country. And here I am for you. It was like a whole different thing. But I was curious because there was this publicity on Venus that this kid was really good and da-da-da, da-da-da. So we go to the courts, and there was like 25, 30 guys playing basketball. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. Guys were passed out in the grass. People were shooting baskets, glass all over the place. And they get out of the car, and everybody knew who Richard was. And they knew who the girls were. It was kind of a, it was kind of really an interesting dynamic. So we go on the court, and I start feeding some balls, and I'm kind of getting through the story here quick. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe I even made the trip, because all I'm seeing is arms and legs and hair and beads flying everywhere, you know, funky swings, balance out of control. I don't want to say it was a train wreck, but they were just decent juniors. That's it, tall and long. It's kind of interesting how she ran. And I told her dad she should drop her track. I just noticed she had her stride. And then I said, you know, um, let's do something competitive. And so we started playing points because before I was working with them on technique. We started playing points. And this is a great advice for any parent or any coach. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover because – once we started playing points, I saw the preparation get a little better. I saw the footwork get more dialed in. I saw the focus get, get much better. And I thought, wow, these kids could be pretty good. They're probably maybe around their age, especially Venus. Serena wasn't. Um, but they're one of many. But it didn't blow me away. And then Venus said, to ask Richard, can I go to the bathroom? So she walks out the gate, and for like 10 feet, she walked on her hands. And then she went into these backward cartwheels. And I'm going, what the heck is this all about? So I saw some <laughs> athleticism. I, I saw this athleticism. I'm going, this is, this is interesting. Because um, I had Jennifer, you know, and she's rock solid on the ground, like a stick of dynamite. And then you got this girl like olive oil, who's like Gumby, and there's all this movement going on. And I go to Richard, I said, let me tell you something. I think you got the next female Michael Jordan on your hand. And he put his arm around me and said, no, Rick, true story. Okay? And, and you were right. <laughs> you know, he, he, yeah, he definitely was right. But when I, when I knew they were going to be close to six feet tall and how much power they would have, even though their strokes were a mess and there was just so much reconstructive surgery that needed to be done, the fact that they were going to be big, strong, and fast. Women's tennis back in the 90s 
never saw that. If you were kind of big, you were clumsy. If you were big, you couldn't move, per se. I mean, here you got someone who's big, strong, and fast. So you got the triple threat of that. And if they could just get, you know, ground strokes, I knew they were going to have great serves. Um, You know, but I like the fact the way they competed, the way they ran. To me, that was in the pocket. And that was only going to evolve as they got older and became, you know, teenagers and young women. So that's not going to change. That's just going to get faster. So that's your calling card. Then you get some unique open stances and some decent strokes, even though there's a lot of interference on that with, from Richard. At the end of the day, yes. they, are, they are where they're at because of how they are inside. Um, they, they, they competed. The way they compete and run, I saw it at a young age. That's why I dove in the deep end and did the contract with them. And uh, I think everybody knows how that whole story ended up. But they, I knew right away. And when people would tell me or ask me, I said, yeah, there'll be one and two in the world. And here these kids are, you know, 10 and 11. And, you know, I said they're going to be better than Jennifer. I could just see where this is going to happen. And that's kind of what I feel about this Gabriella Price, who's 10 years old. That's uh, The kid's just amazing. That is great. Thank you so much, so much for sharing. We're up on a break. Coming up uh, the last segment with Coach Rick Macy. Back in one second. Don't go anywhere. Then the drop is going to go into the hit. Okay, good technique. Rick Macy Tennis Academy is located at beautiful Boca Lago Country Club in Boca Raton, Florida. Call today for more information. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? And what about this? Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Little Caesars, home of the $5 hot and ready pepperoni pizza, now has a deep, deep dish pizza with eight crispy caramelized corner slices and even more cheese and pepperoni. So head on down and grab a large for just eight bucks and tell them Alan Varner sent you. They won't know who that is, but as a voice actor, I'm always trying to get my name out there. Check me out at alandoesvoices.com. That's A-L-A-N doesvoices.com. But first, get the new deep, deep dish pizza. It's hot and ready every day from 4 to 8 p.m. for just 8 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. To celebrate the not normal Mini Cooper, we hired an expert to tell you about Mini telepathically. Greetings. Relax and listen to my mind. The Mini Cooper Heart Dot comes with 37 MPG and co-cart handling. Wait, that's not telepathy. Listen again. The bigger four-door Mini Countryman has seating for five. Okay, you're just whispering. You're still paying me for this. Come see the 37 MPG Mini Cooper Heart Top and the bigger Mini Countryman today. Visit miniusa.com slash info for MPG details. Hi, this is John Embry, and you're listening to the Pro 10 Radio Network. Catch me live on Wednesday, May 28th at 1 o'clock Pacific.
Welcome back to the final segment of the Coach's Corner presented by Protein Global Sports and Protein International. We're talking with world-renowned coach Rick Macy. Um, Rick, we're talking about the Williams sisters and, and that whole story. Um, from a fan's perspective and from a coaching perspective, how do you see tennis now that it has evolved? How do I see tennis, how it's evolved? Yeah, a lot, all these changes that are happening, obviously a lot more coming up as the, as the game just progresses. Yeah, well, you know, obviously the, the, the biggest change is it's it's now more a movement sport, especially on the guy side. If you if you can't fly unless you've right. got a just a massive serve like an Isner, you know, who's obviously, you know, tall and you know, that changes the whole thing. The serve, let's look at it, you know. You can have Isner if there's a tail to tape, Isner playing Federer, I think Federer you know, if there's 20 things, better is probably better in 19. And there's one thing that is uh, a game changer, and that's his serve. So he could clip fed, you know, 6-4 in the third just because of the serve. So I think the rackets, the string, you know, the speed of the game, the power, unless it's become more of a movement game, it's you're more in a state of emergency, you're in a state of flux, the ability to improvise and hit off either foot, and to be able to uh, create things when you're in trouble calls on athleticism. And it's getting that way a little bit more uh, with, the, with the women. And I think uh, the Williams sisters kind of brought that to the game and have always been a little different. And they brought other people in with a lot of the things that they do, some of that uniqueness. But it's even, it's even more so. And, you know, I still believe there's a place for the volley. I'm just shocked that uh, – you know, these girls, when they get people off the court, they don't come in. Um, I'm kind of shocked that they don't just jack a second serve and come to the net behind it and just scare the heck out of people. I don't know. I think it's all in the training because you know you can try not to lose and still win. You can try not to lose and have some success. Um, and that's why I'm really uh, excited about the way this Gabriella Price plays. It's just no fear. It's the toughest sell to any parent toughest to sell, trigger, miss, and step back up there and do it again. And uh, that's, that's the toughest thing. But the game is it's so much about movement, and that's why people miss forehands and backhands. You know, they, they, they miss it as you get older because of the movement. Now, if there's a big technical flaw that's never been changed, then obviously it's going to come out more, you know, under pressure. It always does. But it's, it's all about movement. It's not, you know, running from here to California. It's stop, start, up, right. back, in, out change of direction it's the agility and uh you know it's it's a more athletic game for 100 percent and so just such an athletic game and i think some of the other countries get you know the top athletes i mean i would have loved to taught lebron james at 10 years old teach him amazing mechanics and you don't think someone you know 6'8 250 could serve the ball 160 miles an hour and the way that guy could run i mean how good and these are the type of athletes other countries have playing tennis because they either play soccer or it seems like they go to tennis. Or in this country, there's just a whole different uh, menu where people can, you know, do other sports. And, you know, that's where it's, it's a little tough for American tennis. You know, we don't get the, the best athletes, but we could be doing better and we will do better and it's everybody's responsibility. But it's an athletic game. But if you can't move, you better be really good in all the other areas. Absolutely. Yes, and um, 
Along with that, what advice would you have for up-and-coming uh, juniors for their parents, whether they, some of them are looking to, they're on the fence whether they want to go pro or go to college, and they're just right there writing that fine line. What advice would you have for them? Well, you know, I think it's always good to shoot for the mountaintop, swing for the fences, you know, go for the Hail Mary. But this should be about being the best you can be. College should be the main priority. And, you know, when the time comes, 16, 17, 18, whatever, you, you make that decision, you know, because you don't know. You know it has a crystal ball, not me or anybody else. You don't know what's in someone's head. It's a long-term process. Kids mature later. You can't, you know, fall in love because the kid's number one in the nation in the 12s or 14s. I mean, that means right. zero, as in zero, okay? I've seen this thing change in the blink of an eye in six months. Someone grows two inches, gains 10 pounds. They could beat the kid they just lost to. But at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, it's, it's tough. When you say go pro, I mean, it's easy to go pro, but, you know, if you're 600 in the world, you know, you might be better off when you're working at McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? So, right. I mean, right. you know, it's, you're, you're paying for your expenses and, and the money's at the top. Uh, that's why I like to kids the volley because you can make an amazing career out of just being a great doubles player or having good volley. So, but that's a neglected art too. The kids don't do anything in transition. Doubles is neglected. And uh, let's face it, I mean, there's a, you can make a great living if you're a great doubles player. So, to be well-rounded, learn all the strokes, um, definitely shoot for college. And if you want to nibble a little bit, you know, during the summer, play some futures or play some, you know, women's things. And, you know, if you want to do it before you have to get a real job, do it. But, you know, it, that's an individual decision, and that's a parental decision and, you know, the kid's decision and a financial decision. I mean, it's, it's not cheap to travel around the world. So I think you be the best you can be. You shoot for that great college scholarship, keep your grades up, and then if you want to, you know, try pro tennis, that's good. But I think that should be the goal, to, to try to copy, you know, how Federer does things or Nadal or, or some of these top players, how they act on the court and how they handle pressure and, you know, use that to help, uh, you know, develop your game. But you definitely want to, if you're on the fence, um, you should probably go to college because either in or out. You know, if you're on the fence, that means you're not in either way, and I would go the way where at least you could start your education. Absolutely. Great advice, great advice. We're coming up here to the end of the show, Coach. And um, a couple of final questions. We've got the French Open coming up. Uh, can we get some predictions from you on the men's and women's side? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kind of one that always predicts a lot of things. I mean, I think if anybody <laughs> goes against Serena, Okay, I mean, how can, how can you not? But I'll say this. She's more vulnerable. There's more pressure on her, and the courts are slower. And you, So anything can happen um, with Serena, but she is vulnerable. There's no doubt about it just because she has to hit more balls, and, you know, you never know when you got to get balls. You get nervous. If she gets nervous like anybody else, trust me on that. And But I think you got to go with her. I know Rafa's owned the whole thing. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I'll take uh, Djokovic and, uh, uh, my sleeper is, uh, Ishikori, you know, if he's not injured, you know, the, when I saw him play Nadal last time, I've never seen anybody dictate and control the center of the court and jerk N Nadal around the red clay court in my life. 
Uh, that kid's the real deal. Um, and I think uh, he's capable of winning a Grand Slam. I'm not saying this one, but I think uh, that, that guy has that potential. There he is. He's definitely been impressive. And um, if uh, looking at, 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 at Murray, what do you think he's missing as far as a coach? Why can't he just nail down a coach and, and settle in and, and be able to, uh, to go forward with that? What do you think he needs? Um, well, Murray's never been that good on clay, so I, I don't look at, you know, you got to understand, it's, it's, it's sometimes the luck of the draw, you know, how this thing opens up. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's about coaching at this level for these guys. I mean, for the longest time, Federer had no coach and he was one in the world. So I think that's overrated coaching at the top level with these guys. It's more like you're more manager, and you might be able to talk a little bit, you know, motivational things or strategic, but you ain't going to tweak anything technically. So I don't think – I think the coach, a different voice that might give you a little more juice or something, but, uh, oh, Murray's capable. I just don't think he's going to do this at the, you know, the French Open. Obviously, his game's more suited towards grass or a hard court. And with him, it's all mental. I think when his belief is high – and that only has to be 5% more. He can beat anybody. But he's a little more fragile, I always thought, day in and day out, than the other three. That's okay. what I've always thought. And it's kind, of, it's kind of panned out that way, too. But don't – listen, the guy's great. <laughs> but if he believes he could beat anybody, there's no doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coach uh, Rick, we thank you so much for taking the time out of your 60-hour-a-week schedule for being with us and sharing us some good information. Uh, anything else you want to share with the listeners before we sign off? No, you know, tennis is uh, it, it's a great sport. You know, it's, it, it teaches a lot of people, the, you know, the game of life. And I think you always got to remember that in your role model. And, you know, people look up to you. And you can have a tremendous influence on other people's lives. And I think when you go on the court, you should always remember that because it's easy to get caught up into the grind and, so on and so forth. But uh, if you can go into it looking like that, uh, you'll feel better about yourself, and uh, so will your students. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much. Much success to you and the Academy. And uh, give us the name of the book again that you wrote. Yeah, it's called uh, Macy Magic, Extracting Greatness from Yourself and Others. It's on Amazon. It's doing amazing. People have wanted me to write a book for like 20 years, and it's all positive. It's a lot of self-help. It's kind of how I'm wired. It's teaching philosophy, and I think anybody in any sport um, can learn something from it, and it was fun to put it together and kind of uh, wrap around my career around the book. That is great. We'll definitely put a link for the book on our website. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for being with us. Have a great weekend and a great rest of the year. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Good luck. Take care. Bye-bye. That has been another edition of the Coach's Corner on the Pro 10 Radio Network. For Rick Macy, this is Alex Ramirez signing off. Have a great day and God bless.
Isn't he? That's all, folks. <laughs>